Welcome, gang, to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition, and yes, another segment of Joe's Comics Corner, and of course, this is Joe. They let me out of the cage once again. But first, a word of caution. Our destination to the corner tonight is fraught with peril, because we are venturing to a junction of menacing mystery, heart-stopping horror, and misshapen monstrosities. We are approaching the home of the original Swamp Thing, as envisioned by the legendary creative team of Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson. Helping yours truly is my special guest, a man who fears no swamp or things that inhabit it, James. So, James, how are you doing? Good, Joe. Thank you for having me back in the corner. Well, thank you for suggesting this. And, and um, I don't know if our audience knows your love of the swamp thing, so this was your idea. So if you just want to get it rolling, please go jump right into it. Yeah, well, we've been wanting to do a swamp thing uh, podcast for a while, um, mainly focusing on the Alan Moore run, which we which we will do at some point. Audience, we've, oh, yes. we've mentioned it many times. Um, we will do either or just one podcast on the whole run, or maybe a couple podcasts on the run. We'll have to decide. But um, as a mate, I mean, Alan Moore's work on the character is obviously legendary. It's, it's you know iconic for for comic lovers and people who are not comic lovers. But I think the original Swamp Thing by this legendary creative team of, of Len Wynn, who we've uh, spoken of great lengths on, mm-hmm. on many podcasts, and and Bernie Wrightson, who uh, unfortunately he has passed, but he is uh, mm-hmm. one of the icons of artistic inspiration in comic books. I think the uh, the original run of, of the Swamp Thing character gets overshadowed by Alan Moore's run. Um, not just saying he doesn't have respect for it, or people don't, but I, I don't think it gets as much time in the spotlight because of what Alan Moore did with the character. So uh, I thought it'd be good for us to, you know, do one on, on the original run of Swamp Thing because um, it's something that audiences, I, I hope our audience will enjoy it. And uh, it's, 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 you know, we were just talking about this where the mics went hot. Like, is he, it's not really a superhero. It's a horror book, but is he a superhero, I guess, is, is, is something to debate about in this podcast. That is the question. Yes. That is the question. Now, Lennon, Lennon, Bernie, uh, well, the, Len wrote the first ter- 13 issues, and I think uh, Bernie comes on uh, with, what, issue 10 or 12 or 11? Let's see. I'm looking in the book right now. So Bernie leaves, and then they have uh, Nesta Redundo, who's also a fantastic artist. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the art's beautiful. I mean, obviously, Bernie's art for the original run is uh, – it just sets a tone and a pace, and he's such a magnificent storyteller and, mm-hmm. and panelist and – you know, all of his, um, I don't know if this is fair to say, all, all of his all of his characters, if they're monsters or not monsters, ha- are sort of um, have like a sinister or monster vibe to them. They're He's monstrous, a, yes. Yes, the humans are not, uh, I wouldn't say they're ugly, but they're not like, they're not pretty, like traditional comic book, you know, heroes or people would be. Bernie's got an edge to all of his characters. Yeah, they're gnarl, they're twisted, literally as well as figuratively. But I think that's what, they wanted to do here. That's what Joe Orlando, the editor, and Len Wein and Bernie wanted to do because they're telling a very twisted story. This is this is classic, you know, classic comic book horror at its best. And, um, you know, uh, it's built on the, obviously, the shoulders of the stuff that went on 20 years prior with the EC and uh, what Marvel was doing also. Um, a, a little side note here, well, actually, it's a big, big note, is that the early 1970s, the dawn of the Bronze Age, brought a great diversity of genres back to comic books. 20 years prior, in the early 50s, when superheroes were dying, and it was just Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, you had tons of books, horror books, war, western, funny animal, things like that. And that started happening again in the, um, in the early 70s. And uh, there were tons of books that started, their titles with the word ghost or ghostly or weird or monsters of, and and this book just outshone them all because it was so beautiful. It was so beautifully written and so beautifully rendered uh, that it just uh, it was it was amazing. I remember being in high school at the time, and we were blown away by this. Well, I think I mean I got, obviously I was not around when it first premiered. I, I came to Swamp Thing much much later on, earlier than I probably should have, but much later <laughs> than, than this run than these earlier books. But I would I would guess, and you can obviously correct me, he is a is a monster character but he exists in the dc superhero universe proper at this time yes like because he's, he's he's not like a monster book or a tales of horror book that is its own universe or own its short tale this is an ongoing series that's taking mm-hmm. place in the dc universe 
the, the first story was this little late patron, House of Secrets number 92 was a one-off. And then um, uh, uh, it sold well, and the editors at DC said uh, to Len, hey, uh, what about that story you did in House of Secrets? What was that called? Oh, you mean that Swamp Thing thing I did? Yeah, well, why don't we do that as a regular series? Apparently, Len balked at that for over a year. But then he and Bernie said, well, wait a minute, we don't have to do that character. We can create a whole new character. And they firmly placed that character in the DC Universe. And by issue seven, that character <laughs> meets Batman in Night of the Bat, which is one of the most iconic comic book covers ever. Yes. Just, just the lighting on that cover, the way, uh, gorgeous, gorgeous cover. And it, I just read that book again this afternoon, that issue, and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The way Len and, and um, Bernie Wrightson nailed the Batman character. But yes, he was firmly entrenched in the DC Universe from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is like interesting, you know, because this is like I—I I mean, I think, guess he's the first official character in the DC universe that's primarily a monster and it's horror-based. I'm assuming, Joe. If is it, I would um, think so. I mean, um, prior to uh, and only maybe by a, by a month or two, because when this came out, I believe yes, Demon Number Two by Jack Kirby had just hit the stands the same month, and yeah, that was kind of a horror comic book, also. But it, you know, it's Kirby, so it has a different atmosphere to it. It's more adventurous, uh, more, you know, uh, fantasy oriented, I guess. Um, but what's interesting about this, oh, yes, this is, I would say this is the first horror, ongoing horror, because before this, you had House of Secrets, House of Mystery, Ghost, Tales of the Unexpected, Witching Hour, which were all anthology books. That's what makes this so interesting and different, is that this was the first ongoing uh, horror character that DC did, or the, or the first prominent one. Uh, before that and concurrently as this was going on, it was just these, these other books that had three or four stories, six to eight pages each, one shots, one shots, one, all, all good. I read all those books as a kid also, you know, also a, a teenager, but this was just, well, wait a minute now, this is like, okay, this is going to, this is going to continue and he's going to, you know, he's going to interact with the DC universe. So this was, this was something very, very different. Yeah. And just to kind of throw back to the house of uh, mystery, um, you know, premiere or you know first appearance of the character later on alan moore would uh take that take that story and and make it part of swamp things mythology when we introduced the parliament of trees and the fact that he is not the only swamp thing that's Mm. an earlier swamp thing so that story now exists as um that was a previous swamp thing that that uh, that alec olson is we we discover so um i liked i like that little touch of of alan moore weaving in the swamp things origin into the continuity of the character i thought it was very um Guess swiftly or deftly done by a master writer at the well, time. That's Alan Moore because he 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 puts his own spin on something. He elevates it to a to a new level, to really from pop art to art. But he does not trash what came before. He takes it and he elevates it and he uses it because he has he has a deep respect for what came before. So that's why you you have to uh, you know this his work is just amazing. But uh, it's interesting to note that while this book hit the stands. Uh, at the same time, uh, Fear Number 10, Ventures into Fear Number 10, premiered the first ongoing Man-Thing uh, uh, issue, yes. Uh, and that was uh, you know, created by Jerry Conway, but later on, Man-Thing really takes off when, when they give it to Steve Gerber, and first Val Mayrick is the artist, and then Mike Plug comes on the book. So I was like, you know, if you like Swamp Monsters, and I did, <laughs> and you were, we had these two books competing at the same time, and they were different characters in many, many ways uh, and different motivations. And, uh, you know, Len was telling more visceral stories while Steve Gerber was trying to tell more relevant stories of what, you know, was going on in the world at the time. And, it's, and Len would have that in there. He would tell, you know, the man's humanity to man, like but the patchwork man in issue number, what is that? Yeah. Uh, right. But, but uh, uh, over in man thing, uh, things were, there was a larger scale uh, up on it. And he was meeting all the Marvel characters too, also at the same time. Well, I think like Swamp Thing is it's very um, who because who knew like you know Lennon Lennon Bernie I'm sure especially Len the you know the writer not that Bernie obviously wasn't part of the Swamp Thing storytelling but like they they didn't know I guess where this character would em- eventually go but they already had like this idea of like a like a tree like he Swamp Thing grows over time like. Mm-hmm. He, like his appearance gets more elaborate by the time you reach the Alan Moore series. His ability to talk—he can't talk in the beginning. He That's really can't right. use the body, which is, which is interesting. That um, 
like those are things we think of now by storytelling because everyone's doing an arc based storytelling or thinking their character is going to last a long time. So this is the thinking of a current writer, but to have that thinking back then of like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to, this character's going to evolve into being able to talk and this character's going to evolve and be able to use his body and his plant like, like Swan Thing had no powers in the beginning. He was like, he's basically like a very strong, a, a, he's basically a strong superhuman type of character, but he has no like real connection, at least in the, the first issues that we're going to be that we're really focusing on in this podcast to like the fact that he's part of plant life like that, those powers mm-hmm. were not there from the beginning so he's a, he's a vegetable or a vegetable he's a, a vegetative hulk who went out pretty much the, i mean he, yeah. he just punches people he crashes through things right. he's he's like a lumbering oaf because he can't control his body which is like i said it's it's i appreciate it now more to think that they had that much or the idea to have it back then that this character would evolve over time it's really it's really quite amazing because I, I don't know if that was the norm back then well something really happens big in issue number five where he gets his arm lopped off right and then it grows yes. back it's like, holy cow look yes. at this. i remember reading that as a, as a teenager this is freaking amazing so you know the every every issue was uh, was episodic complete unto itself but lamb was planting seeds as you said along the way there were through lines and that, of course, that's you know uh, very very much so with uh, the, the head of the conclave, with um, um, Arcane, with Abigail, and then by issue seven we find out in the in Night of the Bat that the head of the conclave is this guy named Ellery, and he's living in Gotham City, and he's been you know he's everybody wants the Swamp Thing for different purposes. Obviously, Arcane wanted him for to become immortal. Um, they wanted to buy our restorative or restorative formula because most people, most companies in the world at that time were afraid of what this could do. You know, if you could start growing food and vegetation to feed the planet at, at, a, at a great uh, uh, expediency and low cost, well, then it was going to put all these corporations out of business, right? So if we can't have it, destroy it. And that's people, a very modern problem, though. This that's like a right? Right, relevant problem to today. Still, yeah, so. it's still going on. Here was fifty years later. We're still we're still dealing with this. So the, it, again, Len isn't Len isn't um, denying the real world relevance uh, of this story, but he's it's more when you read these stories, especially the one with the witch. Uh, what was that issue four? Uh, yes, notes. No, let's just force monsters on the moors. I really like that. Well, well, I mean, let's just talk about like what he, he's the first step. First issue is the creation. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Dark Genesis. Then he he fights his his lead nemesis, Anton Arcane, and a bunch of monsters, mutants, mutant right. monsters. The man who wants forever. Then he fights Frankenstein. That's the Patrick man. <laughs> then he fights the Wolfman. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the moors. Then he's got the witches, right? That's yeah, uh, that's that's where he loses his arm and he grows back, right? Number six is robots, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, the most fearsome creature of all, the Dark Knight himself, the Dark the Knight Bat- himself, yeah, the Batman. So like, it's he's he's like covered a lot of ground in, in like the first seven issues of this book. What's interesting about issue six, the robot maker? Um, what was that? What was the title of that uh, that issue called? See, I should I should write things down more. I thought I had enough notes, but I never do. Um, that is that issue is entitled. Uh, a clockwork horror. We'll, yes. we'll play on the clock, you know, clockwork orange. But what's interesting there is that the the man the uh, who builds the village with, with all the um, uh, androids, he's not an evil genius, which you know would have been the the standard fare of the time then and even now. But when his his um, his his robot uh, people are slaughtered at the end, or when, he, when they see what happens to. Uh, uh, there's a swamp thing, you know, uh, these, these characters, these, these androids who were programmed not to have hate and violence in them, they become the very thing that he didn't want them to become. So it's a very bittersweet, sad tale and a comment on, on humanity. And very, when you think of it, very portentous because right now we're living in a world where they keep telling us AI is going to take over and, you know, probably blow us to smithereens someday. <laughs> so... <laughs> Here, you know, here we have AI back in the day, 50 years ago, in the form of androids who are who seem to be uh, benevolent, but because of the actions of evil people, evil corporatists, the even these, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, pure souls can be can be uh, turned, and it's a very cautionary tale. Well, that was sort of like the same. Uh, it's a spinoff of the theme from what issue three with the Patchwork Man. Sort yes, of uh, yes. he, arcane is uh, he he 
not I guess not for uh, his own like generous purposes that he loves his brother mainly because he's a madman of science he takes his brother and he turns him into Frankenstein after mm-hmm. a horrible accident where he steps in a landmine field in Arcane's property right but it already seems like basically but not that they go too much in the backstory that, but that the brothers don't see eye to eye that much and uh, and then he sort of uh, he spawns this good uh, good man I'm assuming he's a good enough man because it's Abby's father so. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this good man into a monster and then keeps him locked in a basement for however long until he escapes and uh, and gets to reconnect with his daughter's daughter in his last hour. So it's, again, that twisting of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, shaping it into a monster. And then, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of these stories follow the, you know, the tragic. Um, I think Swamp Thing appealed to me, though, because I'm a big, you know, obviously Universal Monster fan. And right. a lot of these ended like Universal Monster pictures. You know, the, the monster's humanity would come out, but they die in the end somehow. Well, yeah, and the monster is not the real monster. It's the humans that pursue the monster or try to try to take advantage of the monster. They're the monsters. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, and basically, uh, you know, I'm sure they took, I mean, this is a trope that's used a lot, but, um, you know, it reminded me a little bit of the Incredible Hulk TV series because uh, mm. Kane, uh, you know, Matt Cable is trying to uh, pursue Swamp Thing for the crime of Alec and Linda Holland's death, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, in all these issues. And he's, he's like out on the trail in the monster and, you know, meeting up with him periodically, meeting up with Swamp Thing, but then letting him go or almost just catching him. So I was like, oh, this is like a little bit like the Incredible Hulk uh, traveling series. Yeah. Matt Cain is cable isn't too bright because after Alec Holland, uh, seemingly, uh, they, they don't know what happened to him, uh, right? They, they weren't there for the explosion where he dies into the swamp. They have a burial without a body. But then they, he knows that this guy Ferret uh, is, is, was, was there and threatened them twice. Well, he puts Linda, they rebuild the laboratory. He puts Linda back in the laboratory. I know. You know like, what, if you're going to do that, put a freaking regiment around that freaking building. Don't put her back there because exactly we knew what was going to happen and it did. They, they killed her. It's like, whoa, that was not too bright, Matt. <laughs> no, and it was also like after the first encounter with Ferret, you think he would put a whole patrol there to start yes. with? Well, we have a man patrolling in the car. Well, <laughs> okay, a car in the swamp. Even if they wanted to get there quickly, they're probably going to get stuck in the mud and the mire somewhere and things aren't going to go too well. So it's like, I know it's 1972 and they don't have the surveillance equipment that we have today and there's no, there's no cell phones and there's no internet, uh, you know, but, um, you know, could you, could you have given, could you have given the, the Hollands a flare at least to shoot off? <laughs> Something. <laughs> so, poor, poor Alec has just got his shotgun. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you've got to admire Alec. And, and another thing, Linda is as much a, 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 you know, a scientist as Alan is. So the woman isn't playing second fiddle to the guy here, right? And 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 when Alec dies, when he disappears, they they figure she can she can uh, resume the experiments. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's it obviously it's a tragic tale, but it's tragic made more tragic because the you know people that were assigned to protect them didn't do a very good job. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. And also for uh, this, this folks, I always like this piece of trivia that Matt Cable eventually becomes the crow for the Sandman way down the road in comic book history because Neil Gaiman oh, is such a fan, completely forgot that. fan of the original Swamp Thing and the Alan Moore run. And uh, Matt Cable's story is very twisted and convoluted for the audience. You know, it's eventually he's Abigail's boyfriend, but then he becomes an alcoholic and gets possessed right. by, by Anton Arcane. And then he dies and goes, goes to the afterlife. And then at some point the Sandman picks him to be his, his Raven. So Matt Cable becomes the Sandman's Raven, which is a, I, I find it always find an interest. Like this character eventually goes into the Sandman, which is like how comics work, very convoluted connections and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in, in the first Swamp Thing movie, 1981, right? Um, mm-hmm. Wes Craven, correct? Yes. Don't they don't they do a, 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 a revisionist history with with uh, with Abigail? She's well, not Abigail's at, not in the first Swamp Thing movie. She's not, that's right. She's so, in she's in the Return of Swamp Thing, which um, you never saw that film, the second one. Yes, the second one. Um, I, I saw. I mean, listen, I grew up on that movie and thought it was fun and kooky, but it's not the book at all. And, no, uh, it's not. And audiences, if you're looking for a good laugh and some amusement. In the superhero genre, you can check out the Return of Swamp Thing. Yes, <laughs> um, I mean, the first movie is pretty good. It's got Adrian the first movie, in it. Yeah. I think the first movie. I was listening to um, in preparation for this. I was listening to um, some interviews with Len Wein, and uh, they had like a deleted, like um, a special feature on YouTube from that, from one of the Blu-rays, I think, of the Swamp Thing movie that uh-huh. came out recently before he passed. And uh, he was saying like he he feels like the first 
third of that movie is like he's like that's a pretty good adaption of the original tor- stories that we told yeah, he's he's like he's yeah. all for it. he's like the ending falls apart <laughs> yeah, um but he also he also says like the ending had to be different because when you he, he went to a whole thing about how you when you're changing a medium from comic books to movies there are things that have to be changed and right. but the opening of uh, the original swamp thing movie is is pretty true to this book i mean they make a few gender swap changes like you know adrian barbeau is is um alice cable alice cable so she's right. matt cable instead of you know it's alice cable instead of matt cable right. but um and Anton Arcane is the villain instead of Ferret, who is trying to get the body restored. Right. So there are little tweaks that are actually, you know, for a movie setting and trying to make this whole universe a little bit more cohesive are understandable. And, you know, aside from the fact, like, listen, this movie was made in the early 80s. So, you know, the it's suit also looks very like, exploitative of Adrian Barbeau. It's very exploitative. Of Adrian she gets Barbeau. thrown into the swamp a lot. A lot. Yes. yes. <laughs> right, so, but, they uh, yeah. they use her. They use her as she was used at the time. Unfortunately, for her scream queen, I guess whatever the mm-hmm. goes along with that. So she is very exploited. But if you put some of the stuff aside, the exploitation and the rubbery effects, um, Wes Craven does a good job, I think, of creating the feel of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, I watch that film again. Really you know. Yeah. It's a movie of its time, audiences. So, like you know, there there are some frown upon frownable things in it, but um, but you know, if you can look past some of it, it is definitely a movie that that does a good job. I mean, it's, considering it's before it's like before we were making comic book movies that come out like six or seven times a year. This 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 was pretty good. For, yeah, for it was. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, typing it in right now, Swamp Thing Volume Two, cover. Was that not the cover of the... Uh, yes, see. the uh, Saga of Swamp Thing number two or three had the movie cover. Movie cover, right. And that's the book that eventually, I mean, that, that was written by Marty Pascoe, I believe, which is a very good story. But by then issue 20, that they turned that book over. I guess sales were flagging. They turned it over to, uh, to Alan Moore, and we get one of the greatest comic book runs in the history of the medium. Yes. So, and, and that may not have happened if the movie hadn't come along, right? So let's, you know, whether you, what, what, whatever you think of those first two Swamp Thing movies, be thankful they happened because they, DC brought the book back. And uh, a, a year and a half later or so, um, boom, Alan Moore comes in and, and writes the most incredible uh, story, uh, one of the most incredible stories in, in, uh, in comic book fiction. In comic books, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Swamp Thing is, uh, he's made, uh, you know, not to, he's made many resurrections, I guess, over the time and many mm-hmm. changes. And, you know, I, you know, it's a, it's a character who he's sort of developed where he has the, you have the ability to, to keep manipulating him and changing him. And with the like sort of mythos and pathos that Alan Moore gave the character, you can do like pretty much anything you want with this character. Yep. And, so in the hands of good in the hands of someone who's got a vision for Swamp Thing, he is a very um, it's a it's a great it's a great character it's a great character if you know how to write him I would say like yeah. any character really but like you know he is he can be he could have the powers of a god or he can just be like human level storytelling so you have to like know what you're going to do with him. yeah now you being an artist uh, you can speak to this much better than I can but could you give us a little uh, critique of uh, Bernie Wrightson's art oh well. You know, like you're saying, like Bernie, Bernie was made for monsters. I mean, that's what Bernie drew. <laughs> yes. Like his style is, is, is horrific looking creatures or misshapen monstrosities or, um, or just classic monsters. I mean, he's got like, if you type in Bernie Wrightson, Frankenstein or werewolves, there's, there's like a whole Google library full of these things. Um, Incredible. And zombies and, you know, uh, undead skull creatures and and then other versions of swamp thing that aren't swamp thing but they're just muck encrusted monsters mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. just that this came out of his brain um i mean bernie also did a legendary um illustrated version of, of the frankenstein novel so That's right mm-hmm. so like uh, i think of his works he's best known for is his swamp thing work and his frankenstein work mm-hmm. is probably the best known stuff and those frankenstein it's not like a comic book um, for, for audiences that, you know, if you've never seen it, it's, it's not like he did a comic book. It was an illustrated novel. So right. every 10 or 15 pages, Bernie did an illustration based upon the book. And there it's, it's breathtaking stuff. I mean, was that done in the seventies or the eighties, James? Yeah. I think it was the seventies. Yeah. Cause I think he'd done the Frankenstein before he did the swamp thing, mm-hmm. but it's, it, those pieces are amazing, highly detailed, the light and shadow that he does in them is is fantastic. The the um, cross hatching, the oh, line work, God, yeah. 
I mean, he is the, um, I could, I mean, I can't speak for these gentlemen, but um, I'm sure uh, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane took a page out of, were inspired by Birding because he was, he was doing those extra lines for, for extra definition and stuff way before those two were, were doing it or, you know, or were, or were kids practicing on Bernie's work like I was. So the lighting is amazing. You know, this book is illustrated like, um, like a director was uh, filming, um, filming a movie, every panel is, is precise and, and, and it's there for a reason and to move the story along, but also, but also to, to horrify you because it's a horror book. And it, yeah, it, it I mean, the first, all of that. <laughs> I mean, listen, audience spoilers. I mean, Joe, Joe and I usually do an overview of the books when we talk about on comics corner and that's what Joe does in general, but spoilers for the first one, <laughs> like for the first, you know, issue. Cause I definitely want to go into that. Like, yeah, it's a tragic story. Like Alec Holland and his wife, Alec dies because uh, they set an explosion in the barn with the biorestorative formula. He catches fire and he jumps into the river and then comes out mm-hmm. Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And then as Joe says, because of Matt Cable's uh, sort of bungling or bumbling, yeah. <laughs> they come back and then they kill they kill Linda as well. Right. So, and at the end of the book, it's like Swamp Thing holding his dead wife and trapped as a monster. And uh, and that's and this is sort of the origins of this hero, which is like all in tragedy. And, yes, uh, exactly. Like there's no there's no happiness in the uh, the first comic book. None whatsoever. There's very little happiness in the series, period. I mean, the series originally ran uh, 24 issues, but, uh, you know, a- after Lennon and, and Bernie leave, it, uh, it kind of uh, peters out. Um, uh, to put, again, to put it in context, historical context, and, and let's, and Len Wein also, um, you said we, earlier, we said, is the Swamp Thing a superhero? Well, Len was writing a book concurrently uh, with the great Jim Apparel called The Phantom Stranger. Um, mm. It was probably at that time my favorite comic book period, even over Superman and Batman and all the rest. I just love that book. I adore that book. And and was The Phantom Stranger a superhero? Is that a horror comic? I, I think it's a horror mystery superhero thriller, The Phantom Stranger. And, it, and you know, as you read these issues of, of, of Swamp Thing, yes, it's horror. It's mystery. It's a thriller, um, and he does heroic things uh, throughout throughout the uh, story. So, um, uh, you know, what they mix genres in these books. It's clearly a horror book, which is what they wanted at the time. That's what was selling big time. Uh, it, when this book came out, it was on sale date was August nineteen seventy two. Um, I checked the um, Mike's comic, uh, Amazing World of Mike's comics. I went to the newsstand uh, setting. 182 books came out that month. Um, of those 182, uh, 25 were horror related. And since mm. some books were bi monthly, uh, a month later or a month before, Phantom Stranger, Man Thing, Werewolf by Night was the following month. That was Werewolf by Night number two. So all these things are happening at once. And I was never a horror fan like you are, but I checked out all these books and almost all of them I stayed with for a very long time. Because this was something so completely different than just your regular superhero fair. Well, you know, like I said, growing up, I liked monsters and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not even like, I've said before in our Halloween episodes, I'm not a big fan of horror. I like monsters, mm-hmm. especially if monsters, and, um, you know, and I also like the, I like the idea of the heroic monster, yes. you know, and Swamp Thing is like the hero. Because growing up, I mean, when I was growing up, the Godzilla movies at the time where Godzilla was the hero. Godzilla was the hero in those mm-hmm. movies. He was the crashing of Tokyo, but he was also, you know, fighting the smog monster and Mecha Godzilla. And they were, and the people of Tokyo were happy he was there. So Godzilla was a hero at the time. And growing up, you know, the Wolfman's my favorite Universal monster. And if you if you look at Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, the Wolfman is the hero. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he trying is. to kill Dracula and stop Frankenstein. So um, I, I liked heroic. Um, I thought the idea of a heroic monster w- was cool, and and Swamp Thing like fits the bill. He's like he's a heroic monster. Yeah, they they have to be heroic even uh, if if by, if by for no other means because you know these the, these corporations, these groups, these that are chasing them are horrific people. That and and as they're chasing them, they're you know destroying villages and other people in the con you know uh, who get in their way there's a lot of collateral damage in these books a ton of collateral damage and um so the, the these these uh, horrific these monster characters uh who, who didn't ask to be monsters by the way larry larry talbot didn't ask to be the wolfman right no and, no. and alec collin didn't ask to be the swamp thing you know, oh, and also brings me when I was growing up the Incredible Hulk TV show, Heroic yes. Monster. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. without doubt. And I, I think um, 
who did that show? That was Kenneth Johnson. Yeah, I think he, yeah. he that's the way he wanted to play it off. Yeah. As, as more of a monster, you know, a Frankenstein or not, 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 not just Jekyll and Hyde type of character, obviously. You know, I mean, but also Bruce Banner doesn't want to be the Hulk. No. You know? So these are all, they sort of like do the best they can with the burden that they have in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they meet people along the way. They, they, you know, what those TV series, they are all taking their clue from, their cue from the original Fugitive uh, TV series, but uh, it worked. I mean, that's what Swamp Thing does in these books. He's like, he yeah. just, he pops into these little weird places and meets people, gets into an adventure. Yeah. Like, at this point in, this, in the story, punches the, the threat in the face or, mm-hmm. you know, sets it on fire or throws it off a cliff and then he moves on to the next thing. Like, he's 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 searching for, I mean, you have to remember, like, also, this is this is very much like the plot of the Incredible Hulk TV series. He's trying to find a way to become human again. Mm-hmm. Which he, he does, does for a brief time, what, issue number two, right? Brief time, yeah, brief very time, very brief time. But he gets it up to save the to save the town because right. he knows he knows what Arcane's going to do. Arcane wants revenge on that town at the bottom of his castle, at the bottom of the hill, and he he has to give that up to save those people. There you go. It's heroic as you can. You know that's that's uh, that's Superman heroics basically, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then the legendary issue, which we were talking about, aside from the fact that the also I just want to go back to the storytelling, like the first page in issue one where they say Dark Genesis and then Swamp Thing is that is like such a beautiful panel page, like the uh, where he's uh, oh not the first page, like the um, what is it? It's the page where he's by the tree looking at the um, oh it's uh, where the page that in the first issue where it says Dark Genesis, where it actually yes. gives you the title the and the page, farmhouse. Right? It's such a beautifully paneled and. Yeah, foreground, middle ground, background. The, uh, you know, I'm reading, I'm looking at from the omnibus. So obviously the colors have been, you know, I think redone when they do the re- omnibuses. Um, it's just beautiful. This is a beautiful layout page. The, mystery, like, the misshapen monstrosity presses deeper into the shadows surrounding the single wooden structure that rises from the bog. And his puzzled mind fairly crackles with thought. That's just great writing. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, is, it, is it purple prose? I guess so. But it's perfect for a comic book. And it's the type of comic book that can be read by an eight-year-old. Or at that time, how old was I? I guess I was 16 when it came out. 16 or 17. Yeah. Depending on when it came out, so you know, there's this high school kid who's like, "This, oh, this is really cool," and um, yeah, it's uh, it just draws you in. That's what Len had that power to draw you into a story, because his prose was so beautiful, so eloquent. He's, and, he's got the Stan Lee thing when he's doing Swamp Thing because it's always m- misshapen monstrosity, muck oh, yeah. encrusted monster. You know, yeah. it's like the he's alliteration. A, yes, using as many alliterations at the beginning of these books to describe mm-hmm. Swamp Thing. For those who read my. Um, my show notes to introduce our podcast. Uh, you'll know that uh, who I've I've been uh, uh, influenced by the Stan the Manly. I think uh, it was a, an incredible style, and it worked. It's it's just you know it draws you in. You can't help it. Um, it's it's something they won't do today. I guess it would be maybe maybe it's frowned upon today. My editors don't write that way. I don't know, but uh, I like words on the page, especially when they're when when the they're evocative. And um, they add, see, this is what's interesting. They add to what you're looking at. It doesn't subtract from the beautiful Bernie Wrightson artwork. It adds to the artwork. It adds to the scene. And, and it just, it, I'm getting shivers just talking about this. Well, it's sort <laughs> of like, you know, they, they're always, they always the thing in comic books or any medium like TV or movies is like show, don't tell. But right. in this book, you get show and, and tell. You get show mm. and tell. Yeah, um, you, you see the monster on the on the second page. It's like you know, hide the monster, hide them. We don't see the shark until the very end of Jaws, right? And it works for that reason. Mm-hmm. But here, you know, he's on the cover of the of, of the, um, uh, of the magazine. We're going to see the monster right away. We're going to get right into this, and then we'll give you the origin. And that's, uh, you know, the opposite of what they do today with their mystery boxes when they set things up, and you don't know what the hell is going on. I got wait twenty four issues. You know, it's Jeremy hadn't spoke about that on, on his episode <laughs> of our podcast. You know. You, you got to, it's best if you draw your audience in and get them into the action and into the, into the psyche of the characters right away. And if you're doing it, if you're doing it properly, if you're writing it well, and it's illustrated well, then they're going to stay with you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think an audience, I mean, especially an audience in modern time. I mean, I know we're talking about, about a book that's what, um, how many years? 30, 40? Uh, it premiered in the summer of 1972, August. So we're coming up on 51 years. I'm 51 old. years of Swamp Thing. Got to yeah. be old. <laughs> so um 
but you know, an audience these days, I don't, I don't know if the standard, like, listen, at one point, probably, hopefully soon audience, we'll, we'll talk about Superman, the movie, Superman, the movie is laid mm-hmm. out like a classic origin story. Mm-hmm. So is the original Spider-Man movie by Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you can tell, I think those, that trope is, I don't know if audiences want to do that anymore. And I just say that because like, as you said, like we jump right into the monster and then go back and say how he became the monster, right. which I think is more sensible of a sort of a modern day audience. If, if a modern day person was reading this book, I think they'd be more inclined to follow it because right. you're giving them the monster. So, okay, you gave me the monster on the first page. Now, what am I reading this for? Well, you're reading it. But how did he get to this? How, how did he get to become, how's this misshapen monstrosity uh, you know, wandering around this, this uh, you know, this bog, this, this swamp. We, we need to tell you that. And we're going to tell you that in the first issue. We're not going to, we're not going to wait, you know, six issues so we can shove it into a trade. <laughs> well, plus, you know, you have your, I think they're both do their strengths, obviously. I mean, I don't know if the team came together naturally or they were just assigned, but, you know, you, you're working with Bernie Wrightson. So, like, why are you going to hide the monster, like, to be, like, five or ten pages in? Like, you, yeah. you're, you got Bernie Wrightson, who's, who's famous for drawing monsters. You're not going to have him use it right away and then, then tell the story of the humans? You, you often hear about writers, and again, I go back to our Jeremy Adams uh, uh, podcast where Jeremy said he was writing for the artist. He wanted, hey, I know this guy, he doesn't want to, he's reading the script, oh, no, three, three or four pages of talk, I'm going to fall asleep as an artist. <laughs> He wants to get the guy involved, get the artist engaged. Let's get him some action. And that's what, you know, so yeah. Plus um, Len, Len knows, Len's a storyteller. Like, mm-hmm. as we've said, he's a magnificent storyteller. He's, he's created like our, our childhood. But mm-hmm. um, but he he doesn't need the um, the trope of like waiting for the audience to see the monster because he knows what the rest of the story is. Like the, the mystery of what who Swamp Thing is and how he became that way, that's the story. And then... And then his journey past that into the other issues, like I don't, I don't need to hide the monster from you because you're going to be invested into how these these monsters he encountered, how they became monsters, and why are they monsters, and why is he in this place? This is this is what the cell is, not the not the hiding of the creature. Yeah, um, I mean, at, at the end of the first issue, the, the monster is, is is kidnapped and brought to a Balkan country, right? Wow, <laughs> that would not happen today. <laughs> so the action is furious. The uh, it's it's a it's a quick pace. And yet the writing is, is, is so eloquent that it's, you never feel like it's rushed. And you just want to, I know I did reading these the last couple of days. I just wanted to sit back and relax and just immerse myself in this world, this world that Lynn and Bernie created. It's a very, you know, it's a very uh, different, it's a horrific world, but it's a very immersive world. And I, I willingly gave myself up to it. And I you can't say that for too many, you know, too many comic books, regardless of what you were talking about. No, yeah. I mean, I, I was surprised. Like, I've read this, you know, Swamp Thing, the original, at least the original seven issues, like, many times. Um, but it, I'm always amazed at how quickly the story flows and how quickly you get through an issue. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is, like you said, this is words on the page. There's there's substantial, like, writing in this book, but you but it goes because the writing is so smooth and the art is so smooth that it just flies by really quickly. And it's always engaging, always interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to talk about Alan, you know, Alan, um, you know, Bernie's work is uh, <laughs> arcane is, is even more hideous than Swamp Thing. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, he is. <laughs> he's, yes. he's drawn to be more monstrous than, than Swamp Thing. And I also have to say, like, the first two issues are, are some of the best Bernie stuff because like all the monsters and mutants he gets to draw in issue two, like that, that would be one, one creature with the head on top of a hand that walks. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sick stuff. I mean, you know, what was, what was Bernie smoking at the time? Who knows? But in issue four, when we, when Ian finally transforms into the werewolf, you wait, there's a six, there's a five panel grid at the bottom and you see him transforming. And then the next page is a full page. Of, and it's the, it's what a great, drawing of a werewolf it's a fantastic drawing of a werewolf i also i don't know who the colorist is but making the werewolf white white hair instead Mm -hmm. of traditional brown or black was fantastic because it looked it was a werewolf but it was like a werewolf i'd never seen before like it's it's like just so like straight it's just it's a it's a unique take on the creature and i was like wow this is and the the splash page was fantastic i should have done my homework a little more but uh uh early on glenn's wife glennis was was coloring a lot of his books well, doing, oh, a, doing okay. a lot of the coloring at DC and Marvel. Glennis oh. Green was one of the greatest colorists in the history of the medium. She did some incredible work. What a great choice, though, to she's make not, that. Yeah, she's not listed here as the colorist. Maybe it was Bernie Wright. It's possible. But whoever did the coloring, wow. 
just it works on you know it, it works on every all cylinders. It's just well, I think Bernie inked his own stuff too. Yes, he did. There's no inker here. Like not another Dick Giordano, who was the the inker, the, the go-to inker of the day in the early '70s, especially at DC. You know, Dick was inking uh, Neil Adams. He was inking Irv uh, 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 Novik. He was inking Bob Brown. He was inking, uh, and these were all Batman-related books. They they wanted Dick Giordano's ink ink on whoever was penciling those books, but uh, no, Bernie didn't need any help. <laughs> yeah, Bernie was the uh, he's the pencilist and the and the inker. He did it did all and 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 it's sometimes a colorist. So I don't know if he did coloring on on the Swamp Thing books, but he would color his own pieces too. He was like a one stop art shop back in the yeah. day. And later on, I think he gets uh, co plotting uh, 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 also. You know, uh, recognition at the very end because um, I'm sure they did that. You know, I'm sure this book was done in the quote unquote DC style script. You know, a full script. But I would imagine that Len and Bernie would sit down and and and, and hash this out. Uh, a little more, maybe a little more of a Marvel style, where you know it's a, the, um, the artist gets a two-page uh, after they speak for a while. Artist, right? He gets a two-page, uh, or she gets a two-page uh, synopsis. Go home and give me the twenty pages to come back, and I'll I'll, um, I'll dialogue it. But uh, this, I have a feeling this book was kind of like a compendium of both styles. Yeah, I would have to. I would have to say so. I couldn't. You know, I, I tried to find interviews where they they talked about each other, but I couldn't really find anything. Though, yeah, I looked though, for that too. I didn't find that either. Yeah. But Len tells a good story. I'm sure you came across this way when they were like, um, you know, when they were like, "What are you going to call that?" Uh, you know, he's like, "He, what do you like?" He just he couldn't find a name for this for the story, mm-hmm. and he would like, that's and when you said like the story, he's like, "Wait, what about that Swamp Thing piece?" He's like, "That's it." That's it. <laughs> yeah. And he, apparently, he fought them for a year. He didn't want to do it, and thank God he did. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I mean, he also said he, like, he doesn't even know where the story came from. He's just like, I don't know. I was just kind of working on this thing on the subway. It was in my head. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what inspired it, but it just yeah, I had this idea of this, this, you know, man turning into a monster. And, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Len, Len, Len at the time, let's see, uh, was born in the mid to late 40, 40s. So he's got to be in his, uh, you know, mid 20s at this point, approaching his late 20s. So he's he's a child of of that era who would have grown up watching all those Universal monster movies on TV, right? On a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, you know, watching the Abbott and Costello beats Frankenstein. So he's he and his and his um, longtime partner in peril with comics, uh, Marv Wolfman. They would they were they you know and Jerry Conway and Bernie Wrights and all these guys and Steve Gerber and Val Merrick and Mike Plug. All these guys did all these these horror comics. They knew of the horror history in film and TV and comic books from before. They so they incorporated all this stuff into their work, and I think they they added something. Obviously, they added something to it, and that's what you want from each new succession of of people that come into the industry. Put your stamp on it, add to it. Like we were talking about before with Alan Moore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then audiences, as we've said many times, the we are really go, we we've only read up to issue seven. Maybe we'll revisit revisit another another rest of this run in a, mm-hmm. a future Joe's Comics Corner. But like he's fully entrenched because he meets the Batman, and and it's you know it's it's a it's a great meeting. It's a great first encounter. Yes, um, so they so I guess by issue seven they just wanted to fully entrench him and make sure this is happening in the DC universe. So there there are panels of of, of Wrightson's Batman. I'm looking at one now. He's standing on a building. Striding, uh, stride, uh, two ledges, and his cape is flowing in front of him, and it's taut around his back, and he's looking out over the uh, the Batman, he's looking out over the uh, the pier, and it's just it's just amazing. It's just beautifully rendered, and of course the cover, the lighting on the cover is just absolute. You know, I, I talk about my favorite covers, and I've forgotten that this was one of them. And now that I look at it, you know, been looking at it again all all today throughout the day. It's uh, it's right up there with. Um, Amazing Spider-Man uh, 39 and uh, other great covers. Yeah, I mean, his Batman, Bernie's Batman is like a combination between Neil Adams and Todd McFarlane's Batman. Oh, that, wow, I never, it just blew me away. Definitely, I, was, so, I saw the Neil Adams in there, and uh, but you're right, this. With the extra billowy, like the extremely yes. exaggerated cape and the extremely exaggerated ears and the line work. Like it has the Neil Adams face, but like the Todd McFarlane, extra, you know, extras that he... Batman's cape is very spawn-like, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's like um, even the Swamp Thing in the trench coat is very, very spawn. So those lines, mm-hmm. and it's very—it's not a Neil Adams like trench coat or drawing. It's more like a McFarlane style uh, type of trench coat drawing, you know. Which is fine. I'm sure this—I'm sure he influenced both of those people, Bernie. 
I mean, oh, I'm, I, 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 and in that story, uh, Swamp Thing is a bit of a detective. How he finds out, uh, yeah. you know, so it's like, well, he is he is a scientist. Yes, you know, I, so the man is not. You know, he's he's obviously has a, probably has like a two hundred IQ. So uh, this is not a uh, you know uh, uh, some dope that was thrown into the swamp and made it to a swamp monster. This is a very educated individual. So yeah, he's um, he's very um, he can he can handle himself. And he's uh, doing doing the traditional Ben Grimm trench coat hat, you know, yep. walk around. Mm-hmm. I thought of that when I was reading that. Yeah, very Ben Grimm like, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's um, it's great. I don't know much more I, good stuff I can say about this. So, like, if I, I, you know, audience, I don't know if you're sold, but you should be sold on on like checking it out because it's on Hoopla. You can you can, I have the physical omnibus. Joe has the physical comics, but you can get the omnibus on Hoopla. You can get like 395 pages of the Volume one of the original Swamp Thing, Bronze Age era on Hoopla. You can read it. Is that all twenty four issues? Yeah, it's the whole thing. Wow, that's uh, Hoopla. Wow. Hoopla actually has all three Bronze Age volumes. They have volume number two, and then they have the volume number three that eventually be- that it doesn't have the Alan Moore stuff in it, but it has the first twenty issues that that before the Alan Moore run. And I have in my hand uh, a paper uh, trade version of the Bronze Age Swamp Thing volume one, uh, the, the first appearance in House of Secrets ninety two. And then Swamp Thing 1 through 13, which is all the Lynn and Wrights and stuff, and Nestor Redondo. And they said Michael Caluda also, I, I, and Luis Dominguez. They, these were also great artists at the time. Luis Dominguez was not a, a young man at the time, but he was he had been around for a while. But Caluda was also, Caluda's claim to fame in the early 70s was obviously the shadow. But this book, I got it off of, I think, cheapgraphics.novels.com. Uh, I didn't pay the twenty four ninety nine. I think I paid like 16 bucks for it. So if you oh, want wow. a copy, yeah. So, yeah. And just looking through this omnibus uh, audience, if you're if you are not sold, at the end of the omnibus, they have the Swamp Thing Annual Number One, which is the movie adaption comic mm, book. Nice. It was Very illustrated. Good. Well, let's see here. It's based on the screenplay by Wes Craven, script by Bruce Jones, and it's illustrated by Mark Texera. Ta- yeah, Texera. Yeah, Mark Texera yeah. and uh, yeah. Tony Dezunga. Dezunga. Yeah. It, yeah. I never could pronounce his name, but Tony. Uh, did some of the, his greatest work on Jonah Hex, you know, and um, and uh, that when Jonah Hex premiered, they they took All Star Weston and retitled it Weird Weston. So, you know, that was a, that was kind of like a horror Western comic, especially at the very beginning. Uh, some of that stuff is incredibly graphic. I don't know how the hell they got away with it, <laughs> but uh, they did. So yeah, this uh, the early seventies was was a uh, the, uh, the Bronze Age was. A Great, great era for comic books. Um, as important as the Silver Age, and even more diverse. Definitely more diverse than the Silver in, in the characters they put out, but also in the in the content they put out and the packaging too. We had the hundred pages, we had things like that. So it was a very interesting era for comic books. So if you can get your hands on trades or even originals from that era, uh, do a deep dive into the Bronze Age, and if you're gonna. You want to center. You want to center in. Then do a deep dive into the horror comics of the Bronze Age. Yes, you yes, know. and they're doing a great job collecting them. The omnibuses are coming out now. I don't mm-hmm. know why it took them so long to do them, but yeah. they're, they're finally doing them. I don't think horrors have gone out of vogue, right? In Hollywood, has it? I mean, how horror goes in waves. I mean, uh, it, it kind of depends on the horror what people are looking for. You know, mm-hmm. most most horror spawns out of the time period. Right, you know. What's, what's the term they use now today? Body body horror. Um, yeah, body horror. I guess is in. I don't know if body horror is. A body horror is more in the eighties. A lot yeah. of the. A lot well, of the this movies, book is. There's a lot of body horror in this book. <laughs> yeah, I mean the whole thing is body horror. But, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, yeah, I guess it's. I mean, it's hard to say. Like a lot of uh, horror, like a lot of the movies that are really scary, which I don't watch because I'm. That's not my type of thing, you know. Like, yeah, they, I'm gonna be grossed out now. You know, well, they also talk about like this psychological, emotional horror, like. Uh, you know, well, like yeah. these movies like Hereditary, which are about possession and ghosts, and you know, uh, I, I'm not, I haven't sat, I haven't sat through that. Audience, you're, if you're like saying, "Oh my God, he hasn't sat," I just, I just haven't sat through them. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, yeah. and I also, audience, uh, I'm going to throw a pop culture confession in here. <laughs> as, oh, here we go. This sounds good. Go is, is I have not been in the emotional or mental place to sit down and watch the Joker yet either. So you know, I, oh, I the have, uh, the um, the Joaquin Phoenix Joaquin. movie. Right, yeah. the, 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 the um, sequel is coming out with Lady Gaga. 
Yes, that's Harley. Be a musical. <laughs> yep. Okay. I just haven't I just haven't been there yet personally to sit down and watch this uh, movie, which I'm 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 looking forward to, but I just haven't you know I feel like I have to be in the right mental place to sit down and watch the Joker. So. It's disturbing. Yeah. It's very disturbing. It's a, let take take Moon Knight, the uh, six episodes of Moon 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 Knight, put it on steroids, and you get the Joker movie. <clears throat> it's very disturbing, but it's a very good film. Yeah, don't watch it in the evening, James. Watch it in the bright daylight. Yeah, so I yeah, uh, so that's uh, so just this kind of, this kind of ties. In. I'm not watching that. So some of the other horror stuff that uh, some of you might be saying, I'd I'd love this, I'd love that. I I probably would if I was in the right frame of mind. So, but yeah. horror takes many forms, and horror 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 is like one of those things that is um, like like comedy, sort of comments on the time in which it was made. I think so. Yes, like science fiction, uh, good good fiction, good literature, whether it be pop culture literature or, or quote unquote serious literature always comments on the time and always reflects back to the reader uh, what's going on in the world at the time and uh, makes you think and question, which we should always do. You know, yeah. so, and uh, this is one of the series that does, does that very well. So as we close, what other things could we recommend? I think we just... <laughs> We rec- I mean, I just recommended an entire decade of comic books. But- yes, we did. I recommended three volumes of a Bronze Age book that are each about three, three to 400 pages long. So I don't yeah. know if... I don't know if well, uh, I'll just pop back in and say, if you can get a hold of the Phantom Stranger, is that on uh, our non-sponsor sponsor? No, I would love to read that uh, again, Joe, because you, you kindly let your... I, I forget most of the stories because you let me borrow them so long ago, but um, it's, yes. I think you said the Omnibus is coming out, which the Omnibus... Yes, I have well, on order. Maybe Discount Trades has it, but the the omnibus I think on Amazon is like 150 bucks for the Phantom yeah, Stranger. Yeah, uh, I got it for 75 with my Discount Comic Book Services uh, account, and I think I'm going to get the probably early September. That's when I'll be seeing it. I can't wait for it. Um, oh, the Phantom Stranger omnibus is due August 29th, according oh, to Amazon. Okay. Uh, if if you, if folks, if you can uh, also uh, check in on that Man Thing I mentioned before, I think you'll like if you like the Swamp Thing or you'll like the Man Thing. Um, it's different in many ways. It's similar in some ways, but uh, it's worth. It's also worth reading. So uh, I guess that's our uh, our recommendations. Yeah, so, I think those are those yeah. are good. Um, I'm trying to think what else we could uh, recommend right now, but um, it hasn't come to me. So I think those are good recommend- recommendations for this for this, yeah, uh, this episode. James, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. I mean, uh, anytime I get to talk about Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson is, 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 is a good thing. And, and talk about a great character like the Swamp Thing. You know, it's, uh, uh, I'm just going to leave you with a, a funny story. Uh, we were sitting around the, the, the lunchroom with Bishop Walkland many years ago, I guess, when, you know, when these books were coming out. And we were thinking of, uh, well, DC should do, like, they had DC specials and things like that. Why don't they do a... Um, uh, a baseball team, you know, superheroes versus supervillains, which they eventually did a few years later. But um, we were we were building our team, and every we were going back from no, that person should play this, and everybody agreed that the Swamp Thing should play third base because it's the hot corner, and he can dive and stretch out. And nothing would get by. <laughs> I suppose he could also play first base. Nothing would get by him there either. But yeah, you got to play him on the corner definitely. But let's put him at third. So I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> It's one thing at third base. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's great. That's great. That kind of harkens back to when we had your uh, Joe's Comics Corner for your birthday when we asked you to put a baseball team together using uh, uh, yeah, all well, the Marvel or the uh, the, the Marvel characters. Because Marvel was characters is a baseball team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. I had the oh, whole cleanup. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Why not? Best power hit in the league. So, uh, so folks, as we as we uh, bring this to a close, I want to thank uh, James again. James, thank you for suggesting this. This was a great topic to speak about and to have some fun with. And uh, so thanks again, James. Oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you for indulging me. And uh, audience, at some point, we will get to the legendary Alan Moore run, but this should whet your appetite until then. Right. And then, folks, you can follow us on Instagram and our Facebook page. Uh, We would greatly love your uh, critiques of what you hear uh, here, good and bad. You know, don't... uh, don't uh, be afraid to tell us when we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not hitting the nail on the head properly, whatever. But uh, just it's uh, and then like and subscribe. We would like you to do that also. So um, have uh, so this is Joe and James. We're going to say goodbye, and there'll be more of these coming, as, as James said. So in the, in the meantime, just stay well, read comics, and um, and uh, enjoy.